Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello, hello, here we go, it's the Combine Podcast. What is everyone, what is happening everyone? Let me get the intro right, I'm a bit hungover, sorry everyone. Uh, (laughs) Welcome back to the Combine Podcast, it's Mick and today I'm delighted to be joined by Sachin Nakrani, who is an editor and writer for The Guardian. Uh, Sachin, thanks very much for, for jumping on. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Can I just say uh, off the top, uh, I absolutely adore the intro music. As someone who's ever so slightly obsessed with the 90s, I think that <laughs> possibly the Liverpool groove as your intro music is is absolutely sensational. Takes me right back. Not to an especially happy time because obviously it was the uh, it was a song for the 96 Cup final, which was a disaster. Yeah. But it's still great, yeah. to, great to hear it after so many years. I don't think, I can't remember the last time I heard it actually. I think I had it on CD when it came out, but I haven't. <laughs> I haven't got CD player, let alone know where the CD itself is. But yeah, that's a lovely yeah. Well done. No, no, it's great. It's, um, we had basically when we started it, we had like a, um, just like some royalty free, royalty free music, whatever it's called, and it was just like mm. some horrendous like I can't even remember it, but it was really bad. And then um, I got Jay on board with the podcast, and um, <clears throat> he like yourself is a bit obsessed with the nineties and whatever. And he was like, "Oh, we should get this." And then I think he emailed the guys um, who have the um, the rights to it, and they, they were like, "Oh, can we have can we have the rights to it?" And they were like, "Yeah, crack on." So we're like, "Fine." And then yeah, it's um, I think I've a couple of other podcasts use it as well. So it's a bit confusing, like when I'm watching one of them and it, I hear the music and I'm like, "Wait, there, that's not one of that's not us." What are you doing? <laughs> you go like, I'm not on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, I just thought we'd. Obviously, like I was saying before we started recording, we <coughs> came to like a natural break in uh, the season. Uh, Liverpool just beat Southampton three-one, which was which was good. Um, you you went to the you went to the game, didn't you? The Southampton one. I did. Yeah, yeah. I was there on Saturday. Um, yeah, it was it was a relief more than anything. I was getting a lot of stick from the people I who are who stand around me in the cop. Um, so I've got a season ticket there, so all the usual same people. But I think they were slightly taken aback by how. Um, sort of angsty I was getting during the game because for me I just I just didn't want to go into this break with a defeat you know it's such a long break you want to go in in a good place as you know a fan of any team you want I think that this game you know I think the fans who've seen their team lose going into this break must be just absolutely gutted because you know you've got what six seven weeks before you play again and I just didn't want us to go into 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 the break with a defeat or even a draw really so um, yeah uh, we'll probably talk about it a bit more now but I still didn't think we looked great and especially, especially the second half, I just thought we weren't keeping the ball particularly well. I thought Southampton were opening us up and I was getting increasingly kind of uh, annoyed and panicky about our inability just to see the game out. We did see the game out, obviously, but it just felt, uh, I said, parts of the second half especially, but bits of the first half as well, I just felt we weren't in control as much as we should be against what is a pretty poor team. They played well on the day in Fenston, but overall they're not great. And yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot of my sort of mates around me in the cop were kind of... Um, taking the piss of it, sort of telling him to calm down and asking me if I had too much coffee that day. But yeah, um, overall, it was, um, yeah, it was good. Overall, once you step away from it and on the way home and stuff, I sort of reflected on the game. I thought, yeah, we played, overall, we played pretty well, especially the first half. I thought we were very good. 
And yeah, we go into the break in in yeah decent in a decent place. Not great, obviously, not where we want to be, but in in decent shape. Yeah, I think it's it's funny like how it's simple as just winning a couple of games and all of a sudden the the picture looks mm. a lot more rosy, doesn't it? Like I think like you said, I agree. Like the first half it was we sc- we scored all three of our goals. So it was kind of like I think it's like a I don't know if it's like a little small psychological thing where you kind of think, Oh, we've got a two goal leads, we don't have to push that hard to maybe get another. But I know what you mean, like Southampton knocking it around and it was a bit frustrating to to watch and I was I was the same as you I was in the upper main back row like you know you're never getting higher up in the world than that like it was like it's like I need and I was that was the moment where I was like I think I might need glasses (laughs) you know one of them I'm like I can see it but I'm like I feel like this might be the time to go to Specsavers and just have a check because I felt like it was some at some moments I was like can I see the ball properly (laughs) But yeah, a good, like I said, a good win. Um, and I'd, even when, obviously, Firmino got the first goal, which was a when you watch it back, it's actually a really, really good head of the flick and it goes into the far corner. They get the equalizer within like three minutes. But I wasn't ever, I wasn't ever worried that we weren't going to win that game. I don't know why I had that such like positivity because of the way Liverpool have been. But I just felt like we'd with Darwin Nunes on the pitch and obviously he goes on to get two goals. I just, I always felt like we were gonna we were gonna win that game even when it was 1-1 did you did you feel same or was you still angsty at that moment yeah I wasn't I wasn't too disappointed with the goal I've been angry with a lot of goals we've conceded this season I wasn't annoyed with the with the goal we conceded because I just think it was a fantastic free kick by James Ward-Prowse yeah. and he put it on the money he's, he's obviously probably arguably the best set piece taker in the Premier League so I just, you know I wasn't annoyed with the team I just thought okay that's a bit of a blow given we literally just scored a few minutes earlier and I felt obviously super confident we'd make chances. I, I didn't think that'd be an issue. I thought we'd score again. I think my issue just watching Liverpool this entire season is how insecure we look at the back. And you know, you, you go into that second half, and you know, you can you can ask why, you know, what 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 were the reasons we had such the drop off? You could say it as you're sort of implying or saying that, you know, they were just seeing the game out three one up. They knew they were probably going to win. They were just trying to see the game out. But last season. And, you know, in so many seasons under clock, when we've seen games out, we've really seen games out. We've just dominated. You know, we, we haven't given the other team the ball. If they've had it, we've just looked so secure. They haven't found ways through. But as has been the case, it was a case on Saturday and been the case a lot this season. We just still look really open and really vulnerable. And they had three big chances to score again. Alisson was absolutely outstanding for me. Without a doubt, our player of the season so far. By, I wouldn't say by a distance, but he is, by, but, you know, he's, he's ahead of the likes of Salah and, and Bobby for me. I just thought he was absolutely outstanding. The third save, I was at the other the pitch, the other side of the pitch, obviously in the cop, and it was all up and down at the Anfield Road end. So I couldn't really tell how good the saves were. Uh, got home to watch match of the day, and that third save in particular from Che Adams was just absolutely incredible. Um, and so if a second goal goes in, you know, then, you know, even when we're at our pomp, you're slightly worried, but especially in the way we've been this season, you know, it's, I mean, I was panicking a bit anyway, but you'd be properly panicking. So, I just had this. I had the jitters based, not really on the game itself, but just the way the season's gone. And I do, and I do think that second half, you can say, yeah, we maybe we just we trying to see the game out. You could argue players were just backing off a bit because the World Cup didn't get injured. Although I'm not sure that's really the case because actually a lot of the players who play that they aren't going to the World Cup. I just think it's it was fundamentally the problems we had all season. We just in midfield we're still a bit too open. We're not getting to the press uh, as quickly as as we were last season. Uh, the gaps for me between midfield and attack and defence and attack are still a little bit wide. Klopp has, has alluded to that earlier um, in, in previous after previous games. So it just did, didn't look quite right to me still. But um, I was always confident we'd create chances. And yeah, Darwin was on absolute fire on on, um, on Saturday. And I think the thing with Darwin is there's still kind of this narrative around him that oh he's, he's pure chaos and he's really raw. And he is a bit. But actually, what really struck me about his performance on Saturday was how just kind of composed and classy it was. Yeah. Um, and that's the kind of player I thought we were signing when we got from Benfica. I went to the two Benfica games last season in Lisbon at Anfield, and he just looked he looked like a killer. And what's really shocked me about him for us this season is how how wild and raw he's looked. It's like going like going to you know thinking that you're going to go see Dave Chappelle perform a stand up gig and getting there and it's Lee Evans. You know, it's still a really good stand up comedian. <laughs> But it's yeah. something quite different and he's a bit more frantic. But I thought on Saturday he was really 
classy in everything he did. His hold-up play was fantastic. His movement was great. His movement generally has been great. But in those kind of key moments, his decision-making has disappointed me this season. It's, it's worried me at times, actually. Yeah. There's that wild shot against City when he should have passed uh, and things like that. But I thought all his decision-making was great on Saturday. Uh, there was that brilliant cross for Mo, wasn't it, I think? Yeah, great ball. Yeah, which a keeper came out and made a really good uh, save from. So, and the two finishes were, were were really were really smartly taken as well. So yeah, I thought he was he was exceptional on the, on Saturday. Looks really good. It looks like he's just really growing into the team and then finding his feet. And obviously had a bad start with the with the red card and stuff. But yeah, he's sort of catching up on where he should have been probably about a month or so ago. Yeah, like I I, I think that was the most. I agree with you. I think that was the most polished performance by mm. David Nunes. I agree. Like the. The chaos thing is, I just, I, I just love it because it's so funny because he can score a goal and then he can in this next second later he'll, he'll fall over the ball or he'll yeah. like just do something and you're just like, what's going on? What's going through your head? Because we've seen like, like you said, you alluded to the Benfica games where he looked like really classy and like um, running at people, getting in behind, and never looked like shaky on the ball really. And mm-hmm. obviously, I, I think it must be nerves and coming to a. Massive club, Premier League, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's maybe been playing on his mind. But now that he's actually, what's he scored? Nine goals and two assists in, um, in like, I think it's like the equivalent of like 10.4 games, uh, like 950 minutes, I think he's yeah. played. So. I saw a stat. I think he's on a goal or assist every 81 minutes for us, which is absolutely brilliant. I mean, it's, you know, it's beyond the level of most strikers in the league. And he's a new striker who had that setback with the sending off. Um, yeah, I mean, stat-wise, he's absolutely sensational. He's, the numbers now are, are frightening, actually. Yeah, and I, I mean, it's in a weird way, like before the, the last couple of games, I was dying for this World Cup to arrive earlier because I was like, right, I want Liverpool to have a break. But now mm-hmm. we get to the point where we've won a couple of games and now um, we're now sixth in the league, four points off United, <clears throat> um, seven off Spurs, but we've got the game in hand. So come back and obviously when we come back from the World Cup, hopefully... Players come back fit because um, I think I think we were you were mentioning before about us looking a lot shaky in midfield, and I think that comes down to like Fabinho and stuff. But I also think when we don't have Canate, I think he covers those spaces so well. I think Gomez is great, but I think I do think Canate makes us just a a, a much better team, doesn't he? Our oh, Canate's been outstanding. Yeah, the game against Spurs, especially a couple of weeks ago, um, when we were getting bombarded that that second half, we were. Um, I don't think I've ever seen us so bad in terms of keeping the ball, and then and then once we got it, using it. And Canate, I mean, he was just a, it was like a force field, wasn't he? He was just keeping uh, everything he had to, de- had to deal with a lot in those forty-five minutes. Dealt with it all brilliantly. And in the game before, was that Napoli? I think it was Napoli, wasn't it? He was really good yeah, as well. Yeah. So I think he'll, yeah, once he's fully back in the side, um, he'll be, yeah, for me, him and him and Van Dijk now the centre back partnership. I love like like all of us. I love Joel Matip, but. Um, for me, Canate now he's a, he's a different level. I mean, we're looking at I think a genuinely a player who's got the, who's got the potential to be a genuinely elite centre back. You know, world class centre back. He's still obviously really young, what 22, 23. And for me, him and Van Dijk are the centre back partnerships. Um, yeah, I thought Fabinho was better on Saturday. He's been really poor this season. Uh, why I don't know. I mean, I sort of wrote about this uh, a couple of weeks ago. It's about Fabinho kind of sort of symbolises really the team, really, in the, in the sense that the players just dropped off a cliff. I mean, absolutely outstanding, yeah. obviously, last season and the majority of his Liverpool career. Whether he's just burnt out from being a player, he's probably had to, you know, if you've you got the stats together, he's probably had to run, cover more ground than any Liverpool player during the Klopp era, certainly since he arrived in 2018. Maybe he's just caught up with him. Yeah. Whether there's whether there is an injury, just we don't know about, because he's actually not missed any games. He's been part of every match day squad this season. He's either played or come off the bench. So he's not had an injury, but maybe there's something going on there. There might be stuff going on personally with him because he's just not looked right. He's obviously fundamental to the team as well. So if he can... It's a shame he's going to the World Cup. I don't know if he starts for Brazil. He may do. Hopefully he doesn't. I think Casemiro does instead, doesn't he, in that number six role. But hopefully yeah. it would have been great if he could have stayed back and gone to that Dubai camp they're having and just, you know, rested up and and, and uh, just sort of sorted himself out a bit. I think he'll be he'll be crucial second half of the season. But... Um, but yeah, he did play a bit better on Saturday, so that was that was promising. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know what. Like, it, I think it must be a like, like I said, there's there's a myriad of factors that it could be, but it must just be a load of different things. And I just feel like there's been a couple of times, hasn't he, where you can see him and Klopp having a bit of a shouting match, where Klopp's probably telling him to hurry up and get back into position or make a yeah. foul. Because I think in the in the Napoli game, he was making those fouls and like 
some of them were pretty um, bad, to be fair. But it's uh, that's what we kind of want because there's been times this season where, like you said, we're getting teams a counter attacking and we don't make the f- just just make a tactical foul, yeah. take a yellow card, let us get back because we're, we're playing a we've always played a dangerous game with the high line. But I, th- I think with Canate and Van Dijk, you're not going to get a better duo set of of centre back in in the world than those two in terms of pace to to, to mm. maintain that high line. But when Fabinho just looks like he's running in treacle, then it's it's yeah. really difficult, isn't it, to cover those spaces as, as well. I mean, teams are just running through us. I mean, the game that really summed it up was the Arsenal away game. I was at that game in in the away end and, and just watching it close up and seeing, obviously, all season up until that point. But we were just getting physically run through. They were running through us in a way that, actually, if you take the Arsenal league game and maybe even the Carabao Cup game from the season, uh, last season at the Emirates. I remember I've got, got a lot of mates who are Arsenal fans and I think it was after the league game they were saying, they just said, you guys just look, it's like men against boys. You just look so much stronger than us. You know, you're bigger, you're physically more imposing and you just look stronger. And then you fast forward to the, the away game at the same venue this season and, and they're running through us. Party, Shaka, Martinelli, Saka, they're just literally like, they're just basically just sprinting past us and Fabinho was was getting absolutely swamped in midfield as well. And um, I mean, one theory you might have heard it as well is that, you know, I don't know how much truth there is in this, but that we botched pre-season, essentially. Obviously, it's such a difficult, weird season this year that you don't know how to prepare for it, given the World Cup. And maybe they, you know, Klopp and Linders and, and the entire coaching team readjusted the way we do pre-season. I don't know, maybe try to ensure we had a fast start and, you know, scooped up as many points as we could before the break and, and you know, really pushed the players and they got it wrong and, you know, and they did too much, basically. And the players all came back absolutely knackered, which I'm no physical, you know, I'm no sports science expert. So I, I, I don't know if that's true or not, if there's any evidence of that or if you can spot it just from watching the players. I mean, what kind of contradicts that theory is the Community Shield where we were absolutely exceptional. So, we, you know, we had that amazing start in a way, if you want to take that as the first game of the season. And then obviously went to Fulham and looked way off it. So, yeah, I, I'm as puzzled, I think, as most of us as, as to what's going on. But Fabino feels like, the sort of symbol of that. And you were talking about him and, and Klopp sort of arguing on, on the touchdown. So I've spotted that. And, but the moment that really grabbed me was the Leeds game where um, I was in the, I was in the cop that evening as well. And he started, uh, you know, the ball had gone out of play again. We hadn't really built possession properly. And he sort of dribbled out of play on the near side, near the Kenny Dalglish stand. And, um, you know, there's a few groans from the cop and, and Fabinho stood sort of near us. And he just sort of turned to us and started throwing his arms up and calling on the fans to to back the team. There's, you know, there's a snarl on his face and, you know, he got a bit back from, from, from the people around me and just thought, this guy's just not happy as well. He's not right. There's something not right with him. And as I said, it would have been great if, obviously for him, I'm sure he's delighted he's going to the World Cup, but from a selfish point of view, I'd have loved him to have stayed back and, and as they'd gone to this Dubai camp, had a bit of time off uh, and just got himself sorted because he's so important to us. You know, it's just such a fundamentally important player for me, you know, and he's, um, he's, not, he's just not been right all season. Yeah, and and just in terms of that, then, um, in in terms of the midfield, because we we know it's a, uh, Tiago is amazing, but he's 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 no spring chicken in terms of running. Like he, we know he loves to tackle. He's good in the air. He does a lot of the com- combative things that I didn't know that he was that good at that before he joined yeah. us. I knew that he was a great passer of the ball and whatever, and but he gets stuck into tackles. But he's not. It's not the most. Um, quickest or yeah, the engine wise, he's not going to run. All over the place and cover every play the play the grass like a Ginny Van Alden or a Henderson like from a couple of years ago. What what type of what type of midfielder do you think we should be targeting? Maybe I don't because Klopp alluded to it in a press the other day that he might he, he might dip into the market. And I know he says that quite often. The January he'll say he'll he said always says something like if there's a deal to be done, we'll make it along something along those lines. But um, who who would you be targeting? In, in January, if if there's a if there's a deal to be done, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just I, I don't know enough of of the of the, of the market to, to say you know who we should specific going for. I mean, it's such a lazy thing to say, but yeah, I would absolutely love Jude Bellingham. I just you know he's the man that we've been linked with. I think we're it's that you know it's, it's an open secret that we want him. That we probably did try and get him, or certainly inquired about him in the summer, and Dortmund said no because you know they sell one big player a summer, and, and last summer it was Haaland to to Man City. Um, he just looks like a clock player. I've not seen tons of him, but I've seen a fair amount of him playing for a bit, you know, for bits of boss for Dortmund, bits and bobs for England, and he just looks a clock player. You know, loads of energy, can cover ground really quickly, technically really good, good in the press. 
um, just a Wijnaldum style play, you know, can just do a little bit of everything, really, you know, to a really good level. Um, so I think the way the way we play, you know, our midfield setup is is very unique. You know, that we, we the players in midfield are kind of functional players at a high level. We're not looking for you know one player who sits, one player who dictates, one player who does this. We kind of want three players who all work as a unit, who all harry and press. And then when they get it, they will distribute the ball quickly to either the fullbacks and or to the or to the centre forwards. The midfield is kind of you know it is literally like an engine room in the sense that it's kind of a motor that keeps the team moving. We're not looking for a lot of creativity there. Um, but saying that, there's also a lack of goals in midfield as well. And I've, I've thought for a long time we need to up the goal tally in there because even just getting ten more out of midfield, you know, that's the difference between probably winning the league or not. You know, those games where it's where it's one all or whatever, and you just need that extra goal. If we had a sort of Coutinho, like I'm not saying Coutinho himself specifically, because I think that's come and gone, but that sort of play just kind of gets it, rolls out of his feet and smashes one into the top corner. We haven't really got anyone who even shoots from midfield. So I have thought for a while, do we need an injection of creativity in midfield? Just someone a, a bit different. Uh, I'm not saying him again, because obviously we've got no chance of getting him, but like a Kevin De Bruyne type player. Obviously, De Bruyne's an absolute you know, elite level. He can do a bit of everything himself as well. So I don't know really... I, it feels like to me on a basic level, we just need to get some more energy back in midfield. As you said, Thiago, brilliant player. I love watching him play. I agree with you as well. I was shocked by um, how combative he is. When he came, yeah. I thought he was you know, a bit silky player, get on the ball, knock it about and, and and tie the team together. But he really does get stuck in. He's really aggressive, which is great to see. And um, But he's not, as you said, he's not going to run around and he is getting on. He talks about Fabinho. Um, I think Harvey Elliott's fitting into the team pretty well. Uh, he's probably played far too much football for someone of his age, but he, he he's... Um, Maybe that's helped his progress as well. And he, I thought, again, I thought he was actually excellent on on Saturday. But I think maybe, yeah, we need energy. I mean, the ideal player really is Naby Keita, isn't it? Let's, let's face it. He's the perfect player that we need. He's at the right age profile. He he does everything we need um, in terms of he that sort of Wijnaldum style, box-to-box play, defensively really strong, can, can run forward with the ball, break the lines, got a shot on him as well. But he never plays, so I think we have to write him off. We obviously have to write the uh, Oxley Chamberlain off as well. Um, so yeah, it's hard to say. I can't give you a specific name beyond Bellingham because he's the obvious one. But um, I think overall, because of the way the team functions, because of the way it's looking, and because of the age profiles of the likes of Thiago and Fabinho himself and, and Henderson Milner, I think probably energy. We just need that energy back in the field the way it was at our best under Klopp, and and, and that's lacking this season. Yeah, because even even like in years gone by like even under Klopp I have always thought like our midfield was great but I always thought we could we could be got at if your midfield is quick and has got a lot of mobility the likes of it like against Chelsea with when they've got like Kante and Kovacic and like mm. they can just run through our midfield even when we're in top form just because the pace it, 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 I think we just need a bit of like you said a bit of everything but I think a bit of speed in midfield will help just like you said, it seems like we're always half a second late to those like those pressing um, yeah. formations. So I think if you have a bit of speed in there, you can instantly make that that ground up. So I think a bit of speed uh, would be nice in there. And you just mentioned there, Naby Keita. Like, just what what are your th- what are your thoughts on all of this stuff with him? Because it seems a bit people are, obviously there's murmurs that it's it's not an injury, like it's something else going on in the background. Like he he wants to leave and whatever else. Do, do, you, do you think that's do you think that's the real truth? He's not. He's not really injured. I honestly, I cannot say. I mean, because of his history, you wouldn't put it past him to have an injury. You know, you just. Yeah. Um, it would be shot. You know, it could be absolutely anything as well. It could be, you know, a, a you know a dodgy eardrum. It could be, you know, a broken nostril. It could be absolutely anything with that guy. It's just a huge shame. Um, yeah. He is the perfect Klopp, Jurgen Klopp midfielder. So delighted when we signed him. Again, I'm no massive expert on the Bundesliga, but I'd seen again enough of him at Leipzig and heard about him. That his profile fit perfectly, and he's and I thought last season, you know, you, you sort of forget now, but he back end of last season, he he was playing, he was playing regularly. The the, the FA Cup semi final win against City he was outstanding in that game, and and people then were saying, well, Armid, that's our midfield now, Naby, Thiago, and Fabinho, and that's it, and we go forward with that. And um, and then this season again, he's just had massive injury problems. I wouldn't be surprised if he's just sort of essentially refusing to play because he wants to move. I think if that's the case, it's borderline disgraceful just on a obviously basic professional level given he's a professional being paid by the club he needs to play but also just because from a sporting point of view surely he wants to play 
and surely he wants to help his team at a time where they're struggling as well. So I don't know in that be. I mean, I heard someone recently say, Liverpool fans say they don't even consider him a Liverpool player anymore. When they're sort of thinking about the team, they just they either forget he exists or when he sort of pops back into the head, they just they can't even fathom him as a playing for us anymore. I'm sort of a similar mindset now in the sense I just don't really consider him a Liverpool player. Um you know, when I'm sort of thinking about midfield options and stuff, I don't sort of think, oh, well, Naby could come back and do, you know, it's just we're beyond that point with him now. And pretty much with Oxlade Chamberlain as well. I know he has played, he played against Derby and various things. But I think I think his case is a bit different because he had that really bad injury against Roma and I think he's just never really recovered from that. Um, but then again, you know, he's also had a history of injury problems where he had that Arsenal as well. But I think those two need to be moved out for sure. As, as quick. I don't do they but their contracts run out in the summer, so they could probably start talking to clubs yeah. in January, can't they? And sort of probably do pre-contract things and then go in the summer. So I think that that'd be best for them. Clear the decks, and then yeah, we need to get one in in January. I think that's that's pretty obvious, and then and maybe then another in the in the summer as well to replace those two. Yeah, because like I said, Cater will looks like to be going Oxley Chamberlain the same. Um, James Milner. Do you think? Do you think this will be his last one this year? You'd have thought so, but then I thought that would be the case last year as well. Um, <laughs> I, I, I sort of, I don't know if he'd be up for it, but sort of a, a part, sort of a coaching player contract for next yeah. season, if that's even a thing. You know, join the backroom staff, but still be able to be registered as a player. You know, but essentially just play in the cup games, and then you know maybe make sort of at best kind of five or ten league appearances, probably from the bench, that type of thing. Um, it'd be just great to have him around. I just thought it's like a warm blanket, isn't it? When he came on against Southampton, I just kind of thought, oh, okay, I think we'll be all right here. We'll see us. And he, <laughs> did, he just did that kind of slightly, you know, gnarly shithousey things of kind of, you know, getting his body between the ball and the player and then just sort of falling over and winning us a free kick. I just sort of love that sort of stuff from James Milner as well. So um, I wouldn't be against him staying next year, but it would have to be at a point, which I kind of think he's now at anyway, where he's just coming off the bench, helping see games out playing in the Cubs, he can't be starting for us anymore. Not not in league games or European games. Absolutely can. I mean, I remember the United away game, he started in that and it was it was ridiculous. He got completely swamped by their midfield. And, you know, and he comes up against midfield, that's even half energetic and he's going to be absolutely destroyed. So, um, yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, just love him. He's been absolutely amazing. Probably the best free transfer in our history. Um, i got to say, it's funny as well, sort of reading stuff. Was it last week when he was he was marking his 600th Premier League game and 20 years since his Premier League anniversary and talking about being spoken about this kind of old man of football? And I checked his age and he's about four years younger than me or something. And he's just making me feel <laughs> really depressed. Uh, he's like, is it what, he's 38 or so? Is he all 36? I don't know how old he is, but he's uh, definitely a good few 36, years 37, I think. Yeah, yeah. something like that, like five, four or five years younger than me. So that was quite... That was quite a grim moment, sort of, yeah, paying tribute to this old man. And I realise he's still younger than me. But um, no, he's been brilliant for us. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't object him staying next season, but it has to be as a, using him very sparingly. And I said, if he's up for it, and if it's possible by Premier League rules, getting him onto the, maybe the coaching staff that he's up for, it, that'd be quite useful. Yeah, I think that's why people are concerned as well, because people... I mean, Twitter's not a good barometer to measure anything because it's just craziness on there, and you, you'll know that as well. But yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but like midf- midfield stuff, like uh, like you said, Milner, my, if he stays and he goes as a coach, great. If he like a bit part player, would be ideal just to keep that experience. Losing Cater, losing Chamberlain, probably um, Henderson. Do you think? I mean, people. I keep saying people on Twitter, but like the general consensus, like even just like speaking to mates and stuff, is Henderson as a as a right of a three. Is do you think those days have kind of gone, and he needs to be like kind of integrated in like a coming in for Fabinho in the six? Because I think I think he can play the six really really well, uh, Henderson. Mm-hmm. I think against the yeah against maybe the I don't know. Like people that are gonna low low block, I think Henderson might be better than Fabinho in, in in those type of games. I think, but do you think he's more gonna be used? Like, like you said with James Milner, more not not more sparingly, but like maybe pick and choose those games where where Henderson plays. But but then because he's captain, I think it's hard. It's a hard one to for for Klopp to judge. I think. Yeah, the the captaincy thing can't. Yeah, that, that has to be sort of dealt with as an issue, really, because I think we're getting to the point with Henderson and we're seeing it with our own eyes where he is definitely being slowly but surely taken out of the team mm-hmm. as, a, as a regular starter. Now, it's no shock to us anymore, is it, not to see Jordan Henderson start a game, to see him being taken off after 60 minutes. And I think, you know, I mean, he's been at the club now for 11 years. 
Um, he's had, he's had, we sort of forget this now, but actually he's had quite a few injury problems as well. He seems to be around, but actually there's, there's been big spells in his career. He's had injury problems. So his body's probably really creaking and I don't want to say falling apart. That's a bit harsh, but he, he's been through a lot. He's played a lot and gone through a lot of injuries and, and, and what have you as well. So he's, he, you know, and I think we just have to look at Jordan Henderson as a player. I think absolutely from, certainly from next season, kind of Milner two years ago, if you like, you know, a player really, who really shouldn't be starting games. But has a lot to contribute as a as a as a player who helps you see out games. He can certainly come in for certain specific games, as you say, if you're playing the likes of Southampton at home or Bournemouth or Brentford, could be really useful. You know, absolutely fine in those games. But if you're going away to United or City or you've got Arsenal at home or Chelsea at home or away, whatever, those sort of games, I really don't think he should be starting. Um, and I agree with you. I think he's absolutely fine in that number six role uh, as a backup to Fabinho as an alternative to him as well. Um, but we, yeah, the captaincy thing, you know. Just because he's captain doesn't mean he has to play. And maybe, you know, we've done it before. We've done it in places like Sam Hoopier. So it's not, and that was when Sammy was at his peak. We, taking the captaincy of a player shouldn't be seen as a big deal, I think. And I just think, maybe not this season, because it's a bit awkward and a bit weird to do it this year. But in the summer, you just, you transition the captaincy over. Now, the obvious player to give it to would be Van Dijk. But his form's been a bit up and down as well. I mean, it's hard to think of him not being a regular starter for us. But whether you look at another player and go... You know, who, who maybe another plays a long-term captain for us. I don't know, but I mean that's a debate for another time. But I, I think in the summer, the thing that would make sense was take the captaincy of Henderson. I'm sure he'd be fine with that as well. He's he's a good lad and he'd understand. Give it to someone else, and then just say to Jordan, you know, I mean, hopefully by then we've signed two midfielders, one in January, one in the summer, and just make it clear to him that he's still part of the plans, but he's not, you know, he's far from a regular star anymore, and it, his games will be picked pick and choose. Uh, and um, and yeah, as I said, sort of the Milner of sort of two years ago, really, of, 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 of you know, when you look back in his appearances of the season, there should be probably more sub appearances and starts, I'd say. Um, but yeah, I sort of otherwise agree with you, absolutely. I think as a backup six or an alternative six, he's, he's absolutely fine. He's, he's done that role pretty well. Yeah, I think that's um, why people are getting edgy about like the, um, what, what are we going to do? Because it feels like we've came to a point like where we need to, like hopefully one in January, but then we we do need maybe a couple. If if, if we're losing all the players we just mentioned, there's mm-hmm. gonna be a it's gonna be a bigger overhaul maybe than we'd have liked. <clears throat> Obviously with the owners and stuff, maybe not want, not wanting to spend, maybe Klopp wanting to spend at certain moments. Klopp always says like if the money's there, he'll spend it, but it's tends to not be there unless we've sold um like we sold Matt sold Mane and obviously other Minamino and stuff and got rid of Origi and freed up the wage bill and got uh, that that went towards the, the the Nunes fee so it's 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 stuff like that that is a bit frustrating especially when everyone else is um like strengthening around you obviously it's a different different ball game for <laughs> for certain clubs in terms of what they can spend uh but yeah say so one mid- sorry one midfield name I didn't popped into bed just now as you were talking because um I do think I don't know how, I don't know what your thoughts are in, but I, I'm massively impressed with him and he feels kind of gettable, although because he's coming from an English club, his fee would probably be ridiculous. But I think Jacob Ramsey's an absolutely outstanding midfielder from Villa. Yeah. He feels like a clock player as well. And I think given the progress he's already made, you just kind of think you wonder where he's going to be. And he feels like one of those players where he will end up at a, at a top six club. He will end up at a City or a United or a Liverpool or a Chelsea. Uh, those type of clubs. So it feels inevitable. But if you leave it, the longer you leave it, the bigger his fee is going to go. And I just wonder if Liverpool made a move for him. A bit of instability at Villa, obviously, just changed manager. They're not doing particularly well. He's one I would I would look at. And yeah, I, I saw, he's just sorry, his name just popped into me. I was watching Match of the Day last night when uh, Villa beat Brighton. And just some moments where he's just driving so impressively up the pitch, carrying the ball up, and you just think he looks like a he looks like a Jurgen Klopp midfielder. He's obviously young, he's English, he knows the Premier League. So yeah, sorry, that was just one name that put in my head as, as a possible player. But that also says a lot about how much football I watch. That's so essentially I'm just naming the obvious <laughs> <laughs> obvious English footballers. But I'm probably there's probably some fantastic sort of German, French, Portuguese midfielder out there I'm not aware of either. No, no, it's it's a it's a, it's a great child. I think from what I've seen of him, engine wise, like I said, having I think having Gerard as manager for a bit as well, he, he'll have helped him in terms of like mm. the, like you said those driving runs that Stevie was just yeah, fucking amazing at, like yeah, just yeah. running with the ball, just the speed and whatever, getting into the box, scoring goals. We've seen him score goals for Villa, so mm. yeah, I think he's only twenty one as well. So you can like if you get him at this this point, you get you get a midfielder for ten years. Okay. Uh, I think like people like you said Bellingham, people are mentioning. 
uh, Declan Rice, but that again, it's the fee, isn't it? Like hundred million or like just crazy, crazy money. But then I don't yeah, know I really like his... Declan Rice, but I just think I yeah. really, really do like him. But I just think, as you're saying, his fee is going to be. You know, we've sort of missed the boat on him a bit. And if you're going to get Rice, you need to get him a year or eighteen months ago. I think his fee now is going to be triple figures, isn't it? It's just going to, he's an England regular. He's one of the most high-profile midfielders in the country. I, I just think you've missed the boat. Where Ramsey, I would think you could probably—I mean, it's still stupid amounts of money—but you could probably get him for about 15, 40, 50, maybe in that region. Um, it's a hell of a lot of money. It's mad to be talking about that as a as a, as a small amount of money, but <laughs> I think you get him. Whereas I think Rice, you're talking. You're talking close to triple figures, and that's just I just don't think he's worth it. I mean, Bellingham is going to be that, but I do think Bellingham is a very special player. And if we've got the money, I'd, I'd pay that for him, but I wouldn't pay that for Rice. He's very good, but he's not, he's not for me, he's not a hundred million pound plus player. Yeah, just just quickly, another one that like I saw on um Twitter, there's like maybe Mason Mount might be. I'm, I mean, I'm not saying that's a, a, a going to be attainable at any level, but. Um, like there was like contract issues apparently with with him, and he's not he's not agreed to a new deal and stuff. And I think he kind of um, I forgot how old he is. He's like twenty twenty four, is he twenty three? Maybe he's yeah, older. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I feel like he's mobile. He can score a goal. Mm. Um, it's just moving obviously from Chelsea to Liverpool. People have done it in the past, but I just thought that yeah, that just that, like you said with the Ramsey, that, the Mason Mount one just popped into me. That's yeah. someone that maybe could, I don't know. I don't even think it maybe it wouldn't be something Klopp would entertain, but I think he's a, a good player. And if it's if we could get him cheaper as well, um because because of the contract issues, then yeah, even better. He feels he feels a little bit like a sort of a, a sort of a Harvey Elliott start type player. And I, I I just feel like he would block Harvey's progress. And I, I I'm loving yeah. watching Harvey sort of develop and, yeah. and, and grow. And I think I think I think Harvey's played a little bit too much football and he's been exposed and there's been games where he's he's been over, you know, because physically he does struggle because he's small and he's young and there's been games where he's been he's been physically, he's physically struggled and then you look at him and go, oh, is he the real deal and stuff? I think he is the real deal. The problem is he's played too much football because he's had to because he's been fit all the time while others around him haven't and they've been struggling. He's a player who should be taken out you know, the team occasionally, brought back in and things like that. So, and I, so I, I think his progress is absolutely fine. I think he's just played a little bit too much. And I just look at Matt. I, I've got, yeah, I think Matt's a really good player actually, but I just look at him. I think he just feels like someone who would, block, he's like a, he's like Harvey and he'd block Harvey's progress. So, um, yeah, that's why I'd be reluctant to, to, to look at Matt. Whereas I look at Ramsey, he looks like a bit more of a kind of, I don't know, I mean, he just looks a bit different. He looks like a player compliment Harvey. You know, you could look, you know, yeah. if we were to get Ramsey, I'm not saying we will, but, you know, you can see Ramsey and Elliot being kind of playing in tandem in midfield with a with a number six, whoever that would be, for sort of ten years, and that would be potentially a phenomenal midfield. Whereas Mount feels like the player who would play alongside a Ramsey and therefore keep Elliot out. But maybe I'm maybe I'm interpreting that wrong. But yeah, no, I've heard the same stuff about Mount. There's always instability at Chelsea. You wouldn't be shocked if anyone moving in or out of that club. So it's it wouldn't surprise me there's issues there, and he does eventually move in the summer. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, Elliot's Elliot's great, isn't he? I just think hopefully he'll get a bit struck because, like I said, those physical battles sometimes you, you want him to because the the bad injury he had he had against uh, Leeds, which was like mm-hmm. just like a, a freak accident, really. But there's times where in the Southampton game specifically, actually, where there's like there's a fifty fifty to be had. And he kind of doesn't go in like mm. fully for it. Do you get do, do you get that same vibe from that? Like, he doesn't want to go in like full blooded, which you can. I think maybe it's in the back of your mind. You don't want to get a bad injury and stuff. But um, I think that commitment. I'm not saying he's not committed. Of, of course he is. He's a he's a, a, a play for Liverpool and he's a, he's a boy of red and whatever. So he's it, it's he knows the he loves the club and stuff. But I just feel like. That's what we're saying about like a combative midfielder that we need that can mm. come in and like like make those tackles like Fabinho, um, not this season but last year definitely. They're like, they're like someone like a, you know, like a Mascherano or like a mm. Mo Sissoko was chaos as well. Talking about Darwin Nunes, Sissoko was mad as well, but he was he'd, he'd get stuck in and and make mm. those tackles. So I think we our midfield's like gone a bit changed a little bit because it, like you said the, the goals aren't there, but. It's always been the fullbacks and like Wijnaldum and Henderson would would drop in and whatever the fullbacks would run on. But we've we've now that's that's now changed with like introducing Javier, getting Thiago in. There's a bit more creativity in there, but yeah, a bit more 
a bit more steel would be would be nice as well. Like you said, the Ramsey would be yeah, absolutely yeah. perfect. If if it's a if it's a case of oh Bellingham's too much, you can have Ramsey instead. I think most of us would be happy with that, wouldn't we? Because that like you said, he, he ticks yeah. a lot of the the clock boxes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just yeah, on that sort of broad point about the midfield. I mean, I've I've absolutely got no issues with it sort of reshaping and re and re being re sort of imagined and defined under under Jurgen and it, whether it's going to be a more creative midfield and a bit more uh, like other club midfields with it, you know, where there's it's it's less about kind of being you know working as a three, working as a sort of unit to press and harry and be aggressive and turn over the ball and get it to the fullbacks and the forwards as quickly as possible. Whether there's going to be more of an emphasis on the midfielders to 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 do more themselves, to carry the ball, to have shots, to cross. To... That's absolutely fine. And it'd be quite an interesting thing to see. The problem is we're not really seeing it. I mean, Thiago and Harvey Elliott aren't chipping in with loads of goals and assists. I'm not necessarily go with them because I just think we're sort of caught in, in two minds at the moment. The way we sort of want to play in midfield is that a bit more creative, but it's not super creative and it's, and it's aggressive, but it's not really aggressive. So I think we just I think that midfield is a bit of a mess really, and I think we need to you know I'm not really worried about the defence too much. I look at it. I think once Canate is fully embedded in there, Van Dyke is getting better. He had a bit of a poor start, but he's getting better. The fullbacks are still the fullbacks. Um, and actually, if you look at all the issues with Trent, I do think there are some issues with Trent. But actually, I think a lot of it's come down to the fact he's not getting the protection that you've got so brilliantly from Henderson in midfield. The attack is kind of fine. I think it's looking pretty decent. And obviously, Diaz and Jota will come back. I just think the midfield we need to figure out exactly how we want to set that up do we just want to do we want to go but you know sort of old school clock if you like the Wijnaldum you know the Wijnaldum Fabina Henderson days and if we want that then we need to sign the right type of players or are we changing and becoming a bit more creative if we want that we need to sign those kind of players and just make our minds up at the moment it, we're sort of neither one or the other and it's just it's just a bit of a mess and obviously there's issues around fitness and what have you so yeah we, we need to decide so it's hard to kind of know what players to sort of target unless we know exactly what we're looking for but um, yeah, I sort of agree with you in that sense. That with, with, with Elliot as well, I mean, may, there might just be issues with he's, he's still kind of got sort of mental trauma from what happened against Leeds. So that, that might be an issue with him as well, generally. But um, yeah, being interesting to see how he goes with the midfields. I think there's that, but there's just no doubt we need one in January, one in the summer, I think. And um, and uh, yeah, I think Ramsey feels like a really good fit. I don't think we'd get him in January, obviously. He feels like a summer signing. But uh, yeah, we'll see how he goes. And uh, but yeah, we just need some just some sort of churn in that area of the pitch, don't we? I think. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, just just before we finish up, I just thought we'd talk a little bit about you, Sachin. Obviously, you're working for the Guardian uh, at the moment. Have you? Have you? How long have you been there for? Or did you, have you been to various uh, outlets during your career? Or yeah, well, I've been at the Guardian for 15 years, actually. Yeah, oh, last, wow. yeah, last month, October the seventh. Was my 15 year anniversary. I signed on October 7th, 2007 at the Guardian. And up before then, um, so I'd done a history degree and then I did a postgraduate journalism course at a University of London, sort of learned basic sort of journalism skills. Graduated from there in 2003. And then for four years, I worked as a, as a local journalist around London, a couple of local papers um, as a reporter. And then as a news editor at another local paper in London. Um, always wanted to do sports journalism ever since I was a kid. Uh, having realised I was never going to make it as a footballer, I thought I'd write about football instead. And then it was really, it's a really difficult industry to get into, mainly because once you've become a sports journalist, you kind of don't leave because it's, you know, as much as us sports journalists moan, it's it's a great job. And so you kind of retire on the job. So it's hard to find openings into it. But fortunately, um, in 2007, um, a, a mate of mine actually told me that the Garden did a trainee scheme where they take on a, a new sports journalist every year. They had been doing it for a while. I had no, I had no idea about it. So I applied for it, and I got in. in I got in in the in the two thousand. I was the two thousand year two thousand seven sports graduate intake person, if you like. So yeah, I started in October two thousand seven um, on the sports desk, and they just basically threw me into into writing from almost the out, outset. You know, I had very, very, very little sports journalism experience, and a little bit of it at local level, but not much. And then suddenly, you know, within a couple of weeks, I'm covering Premier League games and. Premier League press conferences and writing features and interviews. So it was, it was absolutely amazing, whirlwind experience. And then my contract ended in uh, sort of September 2008 and the next person started. And really that's me out then. I was kind of done, but I loved it so much. I kind of badgered the editor to keep me. And he kept me in the, as, as someone who works in the office. 
Um, but then at the same time, because I'd written for a year and they knew I could do it and they, they were pretty happy with what I was doing, I, I was allowed to sort of carry on writing as well and I covered games in my free time. And then, um, sorry, to cut a long story, a slight long story short, the person who replaced me was the last ever trainee. They sort of shut the scheme down after that. So I was quite lucky in my sense. I got in just in the nick of time. That guy then left. Uh, There's no more trainees. That opened up more writing opportunities for me because there wasn't another trainee coming in. And basically, essentially, I've carried on writing throughout all that time, but I've moved, I've I've progressed more in the office from sort of working with what's known as a sub-editor, where you sort of write headlines and stories and captions, picture captions, and read the copy and make sure it makes sense to kind of working on the main desk, so commissioning articles, editing articles. I um, often edit the print section. So if you buy the, the Guardian newspaper, which I know a lot, few and few people do these days generally with newspapers, but if you do, then at least a couple of times a week, I would have edited the, the back, sort of eight to ten pages of sport. I would have decided what goes on the back, what goes on inside, what pictures we use, that type of thing, how we project stories generally, which I really enjoy. I did that yesterday, actually. I was editing yesterday. Um so the paper, if you buy the paper this morning, the Monday, uh, listeners to know, Monday the 14th of November, if you buy that edition of The Guardian, I've edited the back, sort of, I think we've got 14 pages of sport, sort of leading on England winning the T20 Cricket World Cup and things like that. Um, so, yeah, and um, so the last kind of real 10 years have been a mix of kind of working on the main desk and writing. Last few years, I've sort of stepped back from writing a bit. I've just kind of then I lost my love for it a little bit. I don't know. I just feel generally there's a lot of, football journalism these days and you know and that's great and it's coming from different outlets places like the athletic and things like that and i just feel it's a really crowded market and unless i've got something unique to say i kind of just don't really see the point of contributing really but the other <laughs> yeah, thing as well is i really sort of um love being a, becoming a proper match goer uh, at liverpool um i've had a season ticket since 2014 and i've been traveling with a group of guys from london since 2003 and the Klopp years in particular have just been have just been brilliant watching the team play and uh, being able to go to every home game is obviously just really lucky to do that and I've sort of taken more advantage of that and it's just been great watching us play against the away games against the European aways as well so I've sort of thrown myself more into that uh, and we've got a great group of lads who sort of go up and stuff so it's, it's always a laugh as well doing that as well but um, yeah I've just, I still dip my toes in from time to time do a bit of writing from time to time but yeah main, mainly office space as well and uh, yeah so yeah 15 years which is Decent amount. Oh. When, I, when I joined, Rafa was manager and um, yeah, Torres and Robbie Keane were up front, I think. So that's how it sort of gives you call. I've seen a lot, uh, you know, I've covered a lot. I did a bit of writing when Hodgson was manager, which was pretty grim and things like that. <laughs> but yeah, so I've seen quite a few Liverpool managers in my time at The Guardian, but um, uh, but yeah. Oh, yeah, congrats. That's a long, yeah, long time to, <laughs> to be, like you said, once you're once you're doing something you love, you don't want to. You don't like I say you don't want to leave anyway. And you were mentioned there about like not wanting to write because it's like I, I I agree. There's so many, and like I feel the same about podcast. And it's a bit ironic that we're actually like <laughs> talk, we're doing one right now. I just think that's hilarious, but um, which is also very oversaturated. Like because um, the, like if you're watching this or like if, you, if you're listening, like we do it via um this thing called Streamyards, and it's like. It's so easy just to set this up. You can put nice little uh, overlays on. You can put Premier League badges. I have a nice little ticker at the bottom, advertising stuff, and I can get nice people on like Sachin to, to talk about footy. So it's dead easy to do. So it's it's became it's easier, which is good. But it's also that is also the problem because there's then loads of people doing it. So it's like yeah, yeah. There's people. Everyone's got like we we started this podcast in like late 2018. And at that time, it wasn't like I don't think there was. Well, there's no nowhere near as many as there is now. I think the COVID um, that kind of amped things up because people were, were in the house. People were like, "Oh well, I'm a celebrity. What should I? I'm just gonna. Oh, fuck, I'll make a podcast about like how, how to cook, cook an egg or whatever. You know, just like, yeah, yeah. just like, what are you? <laughs> I I understand if it's something you're passionate about, but just there's just some way you're just like, why why are you doing this? Like, I mean, but people might be listening to this or watching this thinking these. Like mixing our bed, what's he on about? Whatever, and that's fine. But um, yeah, I just think it's something that is very oversaturated. But it leads me on to the next point. I was I'm trying to make. Sorry, I'm a bit. I'm like I said, I messed up the intro because I'm hungover a little bit. I went to the Red Men uh, drinks last. Went to the Red Men drinks last night and just yeah, got a bit, got a bit too merry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was hilarious. Um, but yeah, uh, so you've got your own podcast called Fans. Um, 
is it fans the podcast or is it called it's fans isn't it is it, is it called fans or fans the podcast it's called fans yeah the, the fans. twitter handle is fans the podcast because fans yeah, yeah. Taken. um yeah i've actually stopped i stopped doing that only because um it was taking up far more time than i thought it would do because because of, of the research that around it and also i'd slightly run out of guests as well i had a kind of dream <laughs> a dream list of guests i wanted to get on and either i had them or they turned me down or just didn't get back to my emails but yeah to sort of so- briefly explain so, sorry, I was just gonna say it's it's so hard to get like getting guests is like like I'm so like happy that you've you've mm. you've jumped on, but it's so difficult. Like, cause you, I think when you start, you go right, I'm gonna get this person on, I'm gonna get them, and then you like I think I've I've probably messaged every Liverpool player that's ever played for Liverpool, <laughs> even if it's like thirty seconds. They've got a message from me somewhere. Just going, yeah, yeah. hi, mate. Sorry to sorry to bother you, but if you got twenty minutes to talk about the Reds and like. We've done like really proud of like the people we've had on with like Momo Sissoko. Like we're saying, he's a he's a maniac, but I love him. Um, yeah. uh, Sander Westervelt, Marcus Babbel, and like you just talk to these pl- people and you're like, oh my god, like this is amazing. Like even if you're like, just try all on because I interviewed him a couple of years ago. He's an absolutely lovely bloke and really he was really fascinating. Really he talks really well about his time. They were very honest and stuff. And um, have you had him on? Have you had Jimmy on? Or no, no, I haven't managed to. Get Jimmy, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I definitely, I think, I think I tried. I think, I think Instagram, like just DMing on Instagram, tends to work with most people. Like, um, like Bolo Zenden was just like replied in like three seconds. I was like, what, oh, my god, I was like, <laughs> I was just you know, so shocked. I was like, what, how is he, why is he replied that fast? It was quite concerning <laughs> that he was just, he was, like, he was waiting for Nick to give him a uh, message. finally uh, messaged me, yeah, I'm ready oh, to yeah. go. He's arrived, yes. Yeah. No, I agree with you. It's kind of a mixed bag, really. Like, some people think, oh, I think they'll come on. I think they'll do it. And then they don't. And then others think this is a bit of a long shot. And they come on. I mean, the most kind of big name I had on fans, just to sort of explain what fans is. So, yeah, I started it. Actually, like you were saying, slightly uh, hilariously, I started it in lockdown, kind of the height of lockdown. But it was, (laughs) I had been doing another podcast with a friend of mine, which was just kind of a general sort of life, social, culture podcast. Um, social media sort of culture podcast with a friend of mine and it was based in a pub and we just meet up in a pub and have a chat and so it was kind of trying to get that sort of pub um, pub chat feel so you feel like you were sitting in a pub with us and having a drink in here sort of people you know having a drink in the background and glasses clinking and stuff so that real nice feel to it while we just chat about various things and obviously COVID happened so we couldn't do it anymore because you couldn't go in the pub anymore so that was a bit of a loose end and I thought you know I'm, I'm personally really into podcasts I've always got you know a four, five, six on the go, you know, various ones, football, music, comedy, uh, movies, things like that. So I absolutely adore them. And, and I, I sort of got into podcasting and I thought, and then when this one, the other one fell through that I had my mate in the pub, I sort of wanted to do another one. And I had, I'd, I'd hadn't, I'd shied away from football ones. Cause I just thought there's so, you know, like you said, there's so many football podcasts. I didn't really have anything to offer. And then I thought something I actually love is talking to people about why they support the team they support their sort of reason for it, you know, and and the memories and the best moments they've had and the worst moments, the best players, the worst players, funny moments in the ground, things like that. So I thought it probably is a podcast where people just talk to other people about those things, but I didn't know of any. And I thought, regardless, I'll do the one I want to do may not exist, which is just like really one sort of a long interview. Each interview, each episode is a long interview with somebody that goes on for over an hour and stuff, really gets into things. So I, that's what fans was, and it's just literally talking to people about why they're a fan of the team they support. And I started that in August 2020. The first episode was actually with an Everton fan called um, Matt Jones, who hosts the Blue Room podcast, which is a which is a really good Everton podcast, and he, he was really good. And, yeah, I think I did sort of 32 episodes. I did them in blocks of eight, and I stopped last summer because I sort of run out of guests, and it was a bit more time-consuming than I thought it was going to be because, you know, when, when, when you're research, you know, researching Berry or... Yeah, so some clubs you know their history and you can rattle off questions if you're talking about United or whoever, you know, even Le- you know, a club like Leeds or whatever. But, we, you know, you're, you're sort of getting into Berry and, and Fiorentina even and stuff like that. You think, oh, I don't really know the history of these clubs. So you have to sort of re- read about it and stuff. So it took a lot of time. But, yeah, just sort of about the guests. So, yeah, some guests sort of turned me down. I thought, oh, I thought they'd come on. I was a bit gutted they didn't come on or they ignored me, whatever. Then others, you're like, oh, my God, I got that person. Like, probably the biggest one was David Bedil. I mean, you know, talking about the wow. 90s. Yeah, talking about the 90s again, you know, I grew up watching him on fantasy football and obviously three lines and all that stuff, real icon of 90s football. So I was keen to get him on to talk about Chelsea. I got, I found his agent's uh, email address, I think it was, and I messaged, inviting him on, thinking I won't hear back. And yeah, within a day, his agent came back to me, said, yeah, David's um, Dave's up for coming on. So 
That was great. Yeah, I suspect him about being a Chelsea. He's obviously a big Chelsea fan. Had Kelly Cates on talking about being a Scotland fan. Got her to talk specifically about being a Scotland fan. Um, so yeah, and a few others, but others were just um, maybe not like big names or high profile names, but just people I knew because I've either followed them on Twitter or read their stuff or just knew about them generally who just when you were really interesting like really good stories to tell about why they supported the team they did or their experiences of supporting the team they did and yeah everyone was absolutely great um but yeah i've sort of um from a liverpool point of view i did two liverpool episodes one with kevin sampson who's a good mate of mine obviously a brilliant writer did the he wrote the the uh ann williams documentary or the sort of the, the drama that was shown at the start of the yeah. it was started this year wasn't it for so long ago yeah started this year the brilliant yeah. ann williams um drama he wrote that and yeah just great guy Ke- uh, kevin kevin sampson and it also had james pierce on uh as well talking uh obviously from the athletic he used to be from the echo uh, football uh, liverpool writer for them talking about being a liverpool fan and, he, and i thought his story was really interesting because like me he's a southern liverpool fan um grew up in bath and, and supported them and then moved up to liverpool specifically to go to liverpool university so specifically he could watch a team play and, and, and then obviously stayed in the city got married and had kids in and, and has lived in liverpool ever since and obviously become a very well-established writer on the club and stuff. So yeah, there, there were some of my sort of Liverpool voices, but yeah, no, I really enjoyed it, but um, it's, it's all out there. If you want to find it, yeah, fans of the podcast at fans underscore the podcast, I think it is, is the Twitter link and all the, all the links to all the various episodes I've done are there. So yeah, really proud of it, but I parked it for now and I may or may not get back into it at a future date. I'll, I'll have to see. Yeah, no, no, I, I listened to a few of them. And like, I, I agree. It's like, it's, fa- it's fascinating. Like the, just get people's like yeah like you said just stuff, like how they became like a fan like because we do a show called famous fans uh so that's the hardest to get for because you're trying to find yeah. very very niche a celebrity who supports liverpool and obviously there's quite a lot but trying to get them like we've had on um harvey from so solid crew that was <laughs> he's what a guy he is he sorted me out for tickets got me like oh wow um, yeah what i still speak to him now he's such a what a legend uh DJ Spoonie was was great as well, um, and then we had who was next after that? Oh my god, this me hungover brains not working very well. And we had anyway the, the the one that you said like the that you said the the biggest one for you, the biggest one that I was like astounded when he replied was Alex Horn from obviously it's Taskmaster. Yes, I remember you speaking to him. Yeah, yeah, I didn't actually know he was a Liverpool fan. I think until I saw you tweet out that he was on, I was actually because I know he sports like he sports like a really small club as well, doesn't he? Um, I think he's, he's like sort of his local team. But yeah. It's kind of big team, isn't it? I think that's the way it works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Chesham United. Or yeah. Something that's it, Chesham. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking of getting him on to speak about Chesham, but. Um, yeah. That would be. Yeah. That would be great. If yeah. You could. That would be really good. I did try and get my dream sort of other Liverpool guest was John Oliver, who I'm a massive fan of. Um, obviously, the comedian does um, last week tonight, the big show out in on HBO in America. He's just a brilliant comedian. I did message and. I got a polite um, thank you for the offer, but John isn't interested, essentially, which is fair <laughs> enough. Uh, yeah, it's just why I thought, I thought he'd be great, obviously speaking as someone who is living abroad. And I, I think that's really interesting, people who support us from abroad as well in terms of how they follow the team, you know, getting up at stupid o'clock to, to watch us play and stuff, I think it's really interesting as well. And just talking about musicians, you talking about Harvey and DJ Spoonie, I had um, John McClure, who many people may not know about, but he's the lead singer of a band called Reverend and the Makers, who I absolutely love. They're a great band. If you don't know about Reverend and Makers, go check him out. Um, absolutely banging band. And he came on and talked about being a Sheffield Wednesday fan, which is, yeah, he was great. Absolutely loved talking to him. So, um, yeah, it's always exciting to get a musician on. I mean, my, my absolute dream guest was getting one of the Gallaghers on to speak about being City fans. I did try both Noel and Liam. Um, Noel, I got no response from. Liam, I did actually get a message from... Uh, his representative saying he doesn't do podcasts. So even that was a bit of a thrill, just getting a message back from someone who represents him as a big Oasis fan. But um, yeah, I was always shooting at the moon with those two. I didn't think I'd actually get either of them. So that was, that was fair enough. Yeah, I, I think it's what, for me anyway, it was like when you get someone and you're like, oh, wow, that one worked. And you go, right, you feel invincible. You'll try anyone. <laughs> you go and you start yeah, yeah. doing crazy shit. Like I was like, I was like, right, let me get a list up. And I was like, <laughs> famous Liverpool fans 
Samuel L. Jackson. I'm gonna, I'm gonna fucking, I'm gonna try and get in touch with Samuel L. Jackson. Obviously, just nowhere near getting anything reply. Any you know, replies. Just, just on that, one of the reasons when I set up fans, I was quite cocky about it, and I did come up with this mad list of people I, I was going to try and get. The Gallagher's were on there, and John Oliver, and like others, you know, other various ones. One thing I was thought, and I don't know if you, it has surprised you at all, trying to get celebrity Liverpool fans on is. I always think one of the reasons I thought fans could potentially be absolutely amazing is people love talking about their own football teams, don't they? Even if their teams are crap, they love just talk, just you know, reminiscing about. Oh yeah, my first, oh, my first game went with my dad or whatever. I remember seeing him play. I remember I was there when that goal was scored. I was there for that game, and I thought especially famous people. So I know, okay, Samuel Jackson's a bit of a mad shout, <laughs> but he's you know, ninety eight percent of the interviews he does will probably be about being a movie star, talking about you know all the films he's done and Pulp yeah, Fiction yeah, exactly. and all that stuff. So. If an email comes into his agent going, oh, someone wants to talk to you about being a Liverpool fan. Well, first of all, obviously, first of all, he's like, oh, wow, nobody really ever wants to talk to me about a Liverpool fan. So that grabs his attention. But then secondly, like all the nostalgia kicks in. He goes, oh, yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, I remember seeing, obviously, I don't know how many games he's ever been to. But yeah, I remember seeing John Barnes, Benatelli or whatever. I mean, you know, Robbie Fowler's my favourite player. You know, I kind of think they enjoy just sitting down for an hour or so and talking about these things. So I'm a bit surprised when they say no, really. So, you know, so I understand people who... Maybe former players may may not be that interested because you know they you know it was their it was their job essentially wasn't it and then they've left that and they haven't got any emotional attachment to the club and they've done you know they've thousands of interviews with their players but celebrities like Samuel L Jackson they are mad shouts but in a way they're not because I kind of I would have thought and I thought this with like John Oliver for instance I just thought he probably doesn't get asked that often to talk about being a Liverpool fan I thought he'd probably quite enjoy it but. Maybe yeah, they're just too famous and too busy to 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 be asked, even if they are even slightly interested in doing it. So I don't know, but yeah, I, I'm a bit surprised when these big names say no to things like this. I must admit, because if I, I'd like to think if I was a big movie star, a rock star, and someone said, "Do you want to talk about the Reds?" I'd be like, "Yeah, I'd love to do that." Yeah, yeah, talk about yeah, talk about Jimmy Traore for half an hour or or, or, or Dirk Cow and uh, you know all that you know that game against whoever that was that you know. Uh, you know, Rabinicki when Hodgson was manager was, you know, and they're the worst team I've ever seen at Anfield. You know, you just like these oh, mad memories. I'd love to talk about all of that stuff. So I'm slightly surprised when celebrities say no to things like this, I must admit. Yeah. Well, you've just convinced me to go for Sam Jackson again. Because, <laughs> oh, yeah. Maybe just caught him on the wrong day. You never know. Yeah. Just yeah. Get, get him at the right, get him at the right moment. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a, there's quite a few like Millie, Millie Bobby Brown, obviously Stranger Things and whatever. She's like in interviews saying she's a Liverpool fan but like she's at this point in her career where like like she, she probably got like 400 like um like PAs or whatever just managing inboxes it's like yeah just fending off stuff tried yeah. Damien Lewis I got a reply not from him obviously not from, uh, from um Homeland uh he's a he's a big yeah, Liverpool yeah. fan well, I saw I him at the Fulham rep- game actually I was in the press box um for the Fulham game on the opening day I looked to my right and he was sat because the Fulham press box is in with the Fulham fans at, on that stand where whatever you know wherever whatever the name of that stand is. And yeah, I looked to my right. And I was like, is that Damien Lewis. And I looked a bit closer, and it was. And I tweeted, and I, I must admit, for my sins, I, I think I didn't know he was a Liverpool fan, or I'd forgotten. And I tweeted a picture going, Damien Lewis, is, you know, that's Damien Lewis at the game. I, I thought he was probably a Fulham fan because they've got a lot of celebrity fans because obviously a nice part of the nice part of London and stuff, and a lot of famous people live around there. And then I got a few tweets back going, oh yeah, he's a red. And I was like. I, Either I knew and had forgotten or I didn't know at all, but it certainly caught me a bit, a bit by surprise. But yeah, yeah, he's a big Liverpool fan, isn't he? Yeah, I got a I got a reply from his um his agent or whatever saying um he's he's a bit he's a bit too busy at this time, which I think that's like you've left it a bit open ended there. That I'm gonna go I'm gonna go back in. I'm gonna go back in yeah. for another stab with that one. Uh but yeah, there's I mean, like you said, former players, um it's nice when they rep- like when they say yeah. Obviously, it's amazing. But when they, I I really appreciate when they reply and say no as well. Because like you said, sometimes yeah. you just get blanked. Like Vegard Hegem, like what a guy. And like, but I think I reply. I messaged them going, um, "Do you mind jumping on a show? Just talking about like nineties and the Reds and whatever else." And and he was like, "I'm really appreciate you asking, but um, I don't I don't really do podcasts." And I'm like, "Yeah, that's that's completely that's fine." fine. Yeah, yeah. I think the one that annoys me though is um, I won't I won't mention who this person is, but I I, I emailed um, a comedian to come on and talk about for the team they support for fans, and they were really nice. And it felt like a personal email. Like you know, I found that this person's personal email address because uh, it was on their website and stuff. I wasn't stalking them in a weird way. But it, was, <laughs> it was on their own website, and so I emailed this person and they replied. And it definitely felt like them. It didn't feel like you know an agent had written it. it definitely felt like them. And they said thanks for the offer, but yeah, I, I don't uh, you know I just don't do. I'm, that, 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 this was the key line. 
I don't, I'm not doing podcasts at the moment. I get asked to do a lot. So I've decided to do none just because I'm too busy. So I was like, okay, fair enough. That's absolutely fine. Anyway, fast forward um, a couple of weeks and he's on another podcast I listen to. And I was like, mm. oh, you could have just don't said like no, that. mate. Don't lie. You know, yeah. just, <laughs> just don't, please don't lie. That's just really annoying. Um, so yeah, it's nice. It is genuinely nice when people get back to you and, and don't blank you and do just say no. But then if they lie when they say no, that's also quite annoying as well. <laughs> Yeah, um, well, Sachin, I'll, I'll we'll leave it there because that's been an hour, and I could talk to you fucking all day about like different guests and whatever. So I'll, I'll have to get you <laughs> get you back on as, as well in the future if you if you if you're up for it. I know you say yeah, you're well, get me on at the same time as Sam Jackson. I'd be I'd love to meet him and talk to him about uh, <laughs> Pulp Fiction, which is probably my favorite film of all time as well. So yeah, I'll be I'll be on that show, mate. Yeah, yeah, fucking hell, imagine, mate. Oh. My head would, if I got a reply saying, yeah, my head would fall clean <laughs> off my shoulders. Like, that would be. just be, like, I was shitting myself talking to Alex Horn. I was like, <laughs> I, had to, I had to have a few cans before I did that show. <laughs> I was like, I was loading up my computer and I was like, oh my God, I need to, I need to go and get a bevy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. But yeah, that was a good one. If you haven't watched or listened to that one, go on. Uh, he's go top guy, Alex Horn. Yeah. He's a, yeah, yeah. What a legend. And I went, I went down to, they done like a Taskmaster, um, like a live gathering in uh, a check, like you said, Chesham's grounds. And I went down and um, just there, uh, just hundreds and hundreds of people got to meet him and had, had a little chat and stuff, which was which was good as well. Uh, but yeah, Sachin, thanks very much for uh, for jumping on. If you're not following Sachin on Twitter, then yeah, you should go and you should go and do that. But I'll put all the um, links to his socials and stuff in the, in the description on the video. But yeah, we'll uh, leave it there, Sachin. Thanks very much. Um, if you I was going to say, if you're watching live, I'm so used to doing live shows. But, uh, if you're watching, uh, do like and subscribe. If you're listening on audio platforms like Spotify or whatever, then yeah, um, do follow us on there and leave us a rating to help with the algorithms, whatever they are. I don't know how it works completely. I, just get, I get emails every day saying, you've gone up 22 places in Sweden. And I'm like, oh, great, boss. I don't know I don't know how or why or who's... You've got a retweet from Glenn saying that's probably what it is, isn't it? <laughs> What a guy. The yeah, Swedish yeah. Numbers, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's probably not on Twitter. He could probably, have you had Glenn Hussain on this podcast? No, no. But um, the guy that I'd, one of the guys that do, do the show with is um, he's Swedish and he he follows. I think we follow each other, so it'll happen at some point. Just yeah, yeah. we haven't got round to it yet. <laughs> my mum's favourite player. She, she she saw a poster of him on my wall when I was like ten, and she actually explicitly said, "I think in front of my dad, oh, he's very handsome." I was like, "Oh wow." <laughs> Slightly stomach turning when your mum tells you she fancies uh, a fella who's on your wall, but uh, yeah, yeah, was good looking in fairness. He's sort of still <laughs> very the old Glenn, yeah, yeah, he's a good guy. Uh, but yeah, nice one, everyone, for watching or listening. Uh, thanks again to Sachin, and uh, yeah, we'll see you all next time. Sports Social Podcast Network.